Welcome to the ASHP Advantage Podcast, engaging the experts on ASHP Official, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners about the latest issues in pharmacy and healthcare. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Kevin Gary. I'm a professor at the University of Houston. And today we'll be chatting with Kieran Kelly, who's a gastroenterologist, professor at Harvard Medical School. And Kieran, you're an honorary pharmacist for the day. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> Today's episode is part of the ASHP Advantage podcast series, Engaging the Experts, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners. The episode is supported by an educational grant from Merck. This podcast is for informational purposes and not approved for continuing education credit. Additional activities under this topic are available at www.ashpadvantage.com backslash cdiff update. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started talking about today's topic, C. diff infection. So Kiran, my one of my mentors in life, Herbert DuPont, who I, I think you know as well, I do he indeed. said to me, he said, you know, C. diff is pretty easy, except we don't know how to diagnose it and we're not very good at treating it. So I thought maybe we'd start with, with diagnosis. Yeah. And, and I know you are really into Samoa, the single molecular array assays. I know this because you just published a big paper in CID. So do you, what's the problem with current diagnostics and, and where do you think we're going to go with, with Samoa? Yes, uh, I agree with the statement that we're not very good at diagnosing C. diff infection at the moment. So uh, to keep it simple, let me say there are two approaches. One is to do an enzyme immunoassay to detect the toxins in stool. Uh, that's a very specific uh, uh, assay and uh, gives reliable positives. The problem with it is it's not sensitive enough, and so it gives false negatives. On the other side, there are uh, nucleic acid amplification tests, such as PCR, and they have um, the opposite problem in that they are exquisitively sensitive, but when you get a positive result, it may not be clinically significant. And so what we're trying to do with the single molecular array, which is an ultra-sensitive toxin assay, it's about a thousand times more sensitive than the standard enzyme immunoassay. It is also, by the way, quantitative. It measures the amount of toxin present. And what we're trying to do there is to find uh, the Goldilocks between too sensitive and not specific enough, and hopefully come up with a test which will sensitively detect toxin which will be clinically significant. Sort of detection of functional toxin at a level that would predict disease. That sounds fabulous. It sounds fabulous, but of course, nothing is perfect. And one of our studies, we compare toxin levels in symptomless carriers to individuals with C. diff infection, and there is substantial overlap. So I'm thinking that the ultra-sensitive toxin assays will be beneficial, but they may not completely answer the problem. Another approach that we've been looking at is to look at biomarkers of inflammation in the colon. And with the thinking that if we can augment a test for the toxin or the bacterium with evidence of colonic inflammation, we may be able to come up with a test that's uh, more specific. Okay, so maybe getting there with diagnostics, let's switch our attention to antibiotics. And let's focus only on antibiotics for a second. Obviously, infectious diseases, it's C. diff. And I think, as you know, the IDSA Shea just uh, put out some new guidelines on how to treat 
um, SC difficile infection. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind starting off with, with antimicrobial treatment of how, how the IDSA shade guidelines now set up uh, treatment guidelines for C. diff and kind of your personal opinion of it too. Sure. So we've sort of been shuffling antibiotics around over the last uh, five years or so, uh, playing where's the lady with as regards, you know, which of these is the one you should use. We used to all use metronidazole because it was inexpensive, but then we discovered that it actually wasn't as good as vancomycin in terms of uh, response rates. And so the, the emphasis shifted over uh, to vancomycin above metronidazole. But the latest Shea guidelines actually put a very clear focus on fidaxomycin. And it's not because fidaxomycin is more effective in treating C. diff uh, initially. Why fidaxomycin is being uh, preferred now in the guideline is because there are reduced recurrence rates. And so you get what's called a sustained clinical response with fidaxomycin significantly more often than you get a sustained clinical response with vancomycin. And so that's why the new guidelines uh, uh, consider it the preferred option. Sounds like a good preferred option. I think every change has always been, but who should I really use fidaxomycin in the more expensive agent uh, versus everybody else I'll use whatever else is left, in this case, vancomycin. Yeah, you got so any guidance of how to, how to think, think around those issues yeah. of when to use fidaxomycin? Well, I think if you can afford it, you can use fidaxomycin in everyone because it's, you know, it's the preferred agent. But if it's not accessible always, the places to uh, sort of really look for it harder are related to its advantage, which is lower recurrences. And so basically, the people who will benefit the most are those with the highest recurrence rates. And some of the factors that drive recurrence rates are age, the presence of a highly aggressive C. difficile infection, uh, immunocompromise, or the biggest one of all, a prior history of recurrent C. difficile infection. So if you have an older patient or a patient who's already previously had recurrent C. diff infection, those would be the patients where uh, fidaxomycin would be particularly beneficial. Yeah, that sounds great. I think in a, in a hospice patient population, maybe just pick your population that's part of that high-risk group and, and use it and get the experience. I think maybe that's uh, where we're at now. The fact of the matter is um, most of the patients in hospital are over 65 years of age and fulfill the elderly patient criteria for high risk of recurrence. And then the others sort of are added on top of that, like immunocompromise or prior C. diff. So, which is why I say, in a way, uh, you could, if you if you have the resources, it would be uh, you could use it for for everyone. That's great. Well, let's switch gears a little bit again. I know if if I ingest a C. diff spore and I'm a susceptible host, that that spore will germinate and will will cause disease unless I mount a good antibody response to the toxins of C. diff, and I know that because I read the papers that you wrote way back when this, describing that, which is pretty cool. And, and those landmark epidemiological papers have now ended up being part of current and future treatments like bezlotoximab and future vaccines. So I, I wonder, could you kind of like go back in time a little bit of those original, your host antibody response to C. diff, that's fascinating to me. And then how that ended up becoming bezlotoximab? Sure. So um, there were two studies, one looking at symptom as carriers and the other looking at recurrence. So the recurrence study is what's relevant to bezlotoximab. 
So there we looked at patients with C. diff infection. Uh, we took uh, blood. We also took stool, but the stool antibody results weren't as helpful. We took blood and we measured antitoxin to toxins A and B. And we followed the patients over time and looked at their uh, antibody response. And what we found was that individuals who mounted a robust antitoxin antibody response went on to have resolution of their illness and did not recur. Whereas those who had recurrence of C. diff infection were much more likely to have a poor antitoxin response. So that observation led to the notion, well, uh, if the patient isn't able to mount an antibody response because of age or immunocompromise again, then uh, let's supplement that by developing an artificial antibody response. And that's what bevlotoxumab is. It's a monoclonal antibody that binds to toxin B and neutralizes it. And so it can substitute for uh, uh, the patient's uh, own immune response if that's weak. So that's I should great. say bevlotoxumab is indicated uh, for patients who are on treatment, standard treatment with antibiotics for C. diff infection, if and have a higher risk of recurrence. And I went over some of those risk factors earlier. And it's administered as a one-time infusion, 10 milligrams per kilogram, and has been shown to significantly reduce recurrences. I often get asked, how can an antibody in the blood prevent you getting recurrence of C. diff infection? And uh, my theory, and there's some data to support it, is that these individuals may become recolonized by C. diff. But if they have an effective antibody response, albeit that it's not their own antibody, then they will uh, essentially behave as symptomless carriers and they won't get disease, they won't need more antibiotics and they'll be cured of their um, C. diff infection. It must be super cool to see the, uh, a landmark study now saving lives essentially. That's right. Only, it only took 20 years, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be patient in research. <laughs> where, where do you see the vaccines going? Uh, do you see a vaccine on the horizon and then who's going to get it? Well, um, I've been involved in vaccine development in C. diff for more than 20 years now. So it's an, another example of uh, impatient impatience on my part to see it developing. So uh, it's a very obvious approach to dealing with C. diff infection um, is to develop uh, a vaccine that targets the toxins and neutralizes the toxins, maybe even more effectively than the bezlotoxumab does. But it has been a slow process. And I think perhaps the most challenging aspects of vaccine development for C. diff are, first of all, the target population are elderly and infirm and often immunocompromised. And so it may be extremely difficult to actually induce an effective immune response in that population. But one could do it by vaccinating earlier in the course, in the clinical course, before they're as old or as immunocompromised. Um, but the, the, a recent study uh, uh, was abandoned uh, because of difficulty in predicting individuals who would have a very high incidence of infection. And of course, if you don't have people in your cohort, study cohort, who get C. diff, then you, know, you can't compare and placebo to active. And so that, that was the challenge there of you know, predicting who will get C. diff. That's great. Well, let's hope that does come to pass, actually. It might put us, it might put us out of business, but that's okay. We can move on to something else. Yes, there are, there are several groups 
who are actively <laughs> pursuing vaccine development. So I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. That's great. Well, I think you're like me that you think everything's exciting and fun to do. When I'm, but when you when you gaze into the into your crystal ball and think of the future of C diff, uh, what's what's the one or two point that you're that you're looking at? Well, I mean, the immune response has been what, what I've been studying for a long time, and I do believe that uh, a vaccine to protect against C diff is viable. And I do expect and hope that one will be available in the not too distant future. Hopefully it won't be another 25 years before that becomes available. So that's number one, is immunity uh, to, the, to the toxins. And the second is correcting dysbiosis. I mean, we all, we all know that the reason why people get colonized by C. diff for the most part is because they receive antibiotics and they have a, a, a disturbance in the force of their microbiome. And so I think correcting that is the second uh, uh, approach that really goes to the heart of the pathophysiology of C. diff. So we already know that FMT works in, in terms of pr protecting against recurrence. So I see refinements of bacterial therapy for C. diff to the point that ultimately we will uh, hopefully be using, you know, targeted probiotics, which are cultured in the lab, uh, not derived from human feces and we'll confer colonization resistance in the same way that FMT does. Yeah, that's great. You know, I like it. It's, it's good. It's great science. And then it's coupled with like really big time practice changes. I, I like both of those two future, future options in our, in our world. Okay, well, time flies. Time flies when you're talking C. diff. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you, uh, Kieran Kelly, Dr. Kelly, for joining us. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast, Engaging the Experts. Don't forget to check out the website, www.ashpadvantage.com backslash CDF update for our webinars. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to ASHP podcasts through your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast engaging the experts. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time for more expert perspectives on ASHP Official.